Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Thank you, Carrie. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad you could be here with us this morning. I want to start off this morning by telling you a story about a lawnmower. That lawnmower that you see on the screen is not mine. The grass is too green. For 10 years, my lawnmower started. 10 years, gas and oil checks. No more, no less. Ten years, four or five pulls, that puppy started right up and I mowed the yard for the whole season. This year, year 11, five pulls, ten pulls, 20 pulls. By then, my arm's getting tired and I'm realizing this thing isn't going to start. So I have to figure out, okay, what's the problem here? So I take the lawnmower. Okay, first of all, you check, is it getting spark? So I take that little cord off and I hold it close to the, to the spark plug and kind of pull and, yep, we got a spark. Well, it's got to be something else. Take the lawnmower, lift it up, put it on my workbench. Take out the spark plug. You know, there's a couple of electrodes on a spark plug. You know, have you ever seen a spark plug? You've got the one that goes over the top and the one in the middle there. Well, that one that comes up vertically it wasn't too big. It had been used, you could tell. Okay, maybe I need a new spark plug. Plus, on top of that, it was dry, which means it wasn't getting any gas. Okay. So then I figured, okay, since I have to buy a spark plug, maybe I should check the air filter. Took off the air filter, and on the back of the air fort was this nice little coating of dried grass. I haven't replaced the air filter in 10 years. Okay, I get that. And so I took off that, and I, and I realized, okay, the car, spark plug's not getting gas. Check the, check the bowl to see if there's gas in the bowl. There's gas in the bowl, so there's gas in the carburetor. But for some reason, from the carburetor to the spark plug, something's happening. So I bought the spark plug, brought the, bought the air filter, and the guy at the store said, I hope it's not a carburetor because it's going to cost you 60 bucks. No, it's not. Amazon had them for 12. <laughs> so... I go up there and I take the carburetor off, I clean it all up and I put it back on there and I put the spark plug in and I put the gas back in and I got it all back together and I put it down on the floor and I start pulling and it's still not starting. Huh. I put it back up on the workbench. I'm still using the old carburetor because I, got, I haven't got the new one yet. And so I've got the new one sitting there, and I noticed there's something different about the new one from the old one. So I took the old one back off again, cleaned it up, and the guy at the shop said, well, you can put a little brake cleaner in your, in the, shoot it into the engine, and if it pops off, you know it's not a problem with the engine. Did that, it popped off, so it had to be the carburetor. So I took that carburetor off, and being as cheap as I am, I wanted to make sure I could possibly fix that carburetor. So I cleaned up that carburetor a little bit more and realized the difference between what's going on. I adjusted that, put it all back together, put it on the ground, wheeled it out to the front, and I hoped like crazy that thing was going to start. 
You know what's funny about hope? You know, every day we exercise this desire of hope. There's times we express it verbally, and there's times we just think it. For example, a wife might say, I hope he remembers to do what I asked him to do. Whereas the husband might say, I hope she forgot what she asked me to do because I forgot. And then there's the youth. I mean, you think about the youth. I mean, they have so much life in front of them. And I try to narrow down that, that, that idea of hope for them. And it's just impossible because they've got so much going on in their life and so much in front of them. I mean, they have school, relationships, activities, dreams. I mean, what they can hope for is endless. Webster defines hope. He says hope is a desire accompanied by an expectation of or belief in fulfillment. The Bible tells us that hope is an aspect of faith in an unseen or in a future which will be fulfilled. Hebrews 11.1 tells us now faith is the assurance of things hoped for for the conviction of of things not seen. In a word, we find hope as faith directed into the future with the belief it will be fulfilled. Hope then values an anticipation of God's promise because faith rests in God's veracity to make good on His word. And what better way to look at this than to look at the book of Joshua? Beginning in chapter 1, because you have to start in chapter 1 in order to understand the rest of the book. In chapter 1, Moses, God is speaking to Joshua in verse 2, and he says, My servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go to Jordan, and you and all his people into the land that I'm giving you, giving to them, to the people of Israel. There's the promise. That promise was given a long time ago to a person by the name of Abraham. The Abrahamic promise, a land, a people, a hope. Now if we drop down because in, in between verses 2, 1 and 2 and verse 5, God is describing the boundaries of the land. But if we drop down to verse 5, it reads like this. It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. How many times have you read that? How many times have you thought that? Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Courageous. Ever look up the word? Ever look at the meaning of the word? The definition is basically the action of an individual who is fearlessly willing to venture into unknown territory once he's made up his mind. That's the essence of the definition of courageous. Courageous, as you will see, is used three times in chapter 1. Here it is used in relationship to Joshua. God is basically saying, Joshua, I want you to be courageous. Why? Because you're going to be out in front of the people. The people are going to be looking to you to ensure that what you are doing, what I, how I am leading you, is going to lead them fearlessly and in confidence into something that they have no clue what's going to take place. So you have to be courageous. 
Now, we drop down to verse 7 and 8. And he says, God tells Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, it, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. For years, almost every Bible, all I think but one, I have this passage highlighted. You may have it highlighted in your, past, in your Bible too. For years I looked at that, and years I looked at it, and I'm sitting there going, for the first time, and just a couple of weeks ago, why I didn't see this years ago? Very courageous. That little adverb. Why is it he said be courageous the first time? He'll say be courageous the third time, but the second time he said be very courageous. I thought, could it be because it's connected with the Word of God? Could it be God understood how hard it is to obey the Scriptures? Could it be that He was trying to communicate to Joshua how important it was for them to follow the commands, to follow the law, to do exactly as God told them to do? We live out our lives every day. I mean, we can have a quiet time in the morning and 30 minutes later, we could be thinking something or saying something that has nothing to do with Scripture. The passage that came to mind as I was working on this was, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord my God, my Redeemer. The other day, Wednesday, I'm driving to a ball game in the afternoon over in Levon out on one of the back roads, school bus pulls out in front of me, slam on my brakes. I mean, that's how close it was. Needless to say, I questioned his intelligence with my words. Afterwards, I realized I wasn't being too intelligent. It is difficult to obey the Word of God and God may be saying that when it comes to obeying my words, I want your mind to be set in concrete. I want you, no matter what you face, to fearlessly obey my words, no matter how it may make you look before others. And then as we move to verse 9, he says, I have, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Fear and discouragement. Two of the most devastating aspects that can destroy hope in a congregation, in a people, or in a personal life. Fear and discouragement can stop you in your tracks not wanting to go any further. Nothing stops momentum more than fear and discouragement. 
Even though God tells them back in verse 7, I will never leave you or forsake you. And here he tells them, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He still says, be courageous, not fearful and discouraged. There's a number of stories in Joshua that can help us understand this concept of hope. But there are three that stood out to me, and that's Jericho, Ai, and Caleb. And this brings me to my first point where hope is elevated when BHAGs are accomplished. What's a BHAG, you may be asking? I'll give you the southern view. Big, hairy, audacious goal. I was supposed to be awesome goal, but I like audacious better. Big, hairy, audacious goal. It's a goal that we, we put out there that only God can be able to achieve. It's a goal that's out there that you, you, know, you can't imagine reaching on your own, but it's something that God may give you. Now consider what the folks, Israel and them, they were facing when they entered the land. You recall they're standing before a swollen Jordan River because it was at the time of year where the river was high. And so now they're gonna, we're going to see that parted. So Joshua says, okay, put the ark there and let them get in there. And as soon as they touch, the water separates, they cross over. Somebody on the other side saw this. They went and ran and told everybody. The kings, it's, the scriptures tell us, the kings had fear in their heart because of what they saw. So now the people cross through the Jordan River and go to the other side, and now changes begin to happen. You see, what happens is no longer is there manna coming from heaven. No longer is there birds that they can feed upon, capture and feed upon. Now they have to fend for themselves, but they're in the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that would be able to supply them, the land that God had promised them, and it seems to be going all okay. Well, now, because they have a new group of people, they have to recommit themselves, reconsecrate themselves before the Lord. So, the, so all the males had to be circumcised and to, to, put, to flow with the covenant of God. And once they had that done, the next obstacle was come together and be able to be put together. And now they're facing Jericho. Now, how would you like to be coming into a new land that you're supposed to take, and there you have to face Jericho? Now, I don't know about you, there's a picture of Jericho, and when you look at Jericho, you'll see that there's two walls. The first wall is 13 feet tall. In between the first wall and the second wall is a rampart that's on an angle with a second wall that's 13 foot tall. How are they going to win, defeat that city? How is this ragtag army going to be able to go in there and defeat that kind of a city? Well, that wasn't their problem. That was God's. Because God gave them specific orders. He said, look, this is what you're going to do. For six days, you're going to march around one time. You're going to have the army in the front, the ark, and then you're going to have a rear guard to protect the back side of the, the ark. And you're going to march around six times and you're not going to say a word. Do you imagine how hard that would be to be quiet for that long? 
I'd be one of those people that, you know, put something on their wrist and start snapping it. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. But they would do that. First day goes by. And then not only that, could you imagine the, the, the remarks, the, the stuff that would be coming from the, the ramparts, the trash talk? Hey, y'all march pretty good down there. When are you going to attack us? Oh, man, you guys are... Oh, hey, hey, he's out of step. He's out of step. You're going to get him back in step there. Oh, that's a pretty little thing you're carrying there. That'll look good in our temple. For six days, they did this one lap at a time. And I'm suspecting, you know, because I like to dream and wonder what, you know, what was actually going on during that, that by the sixth day, the guys up on the rampart, oh, here they go again. They're going to walk around and they're going to go home. I guess we're not going to be doing it. And they, they, you know, the crowds probably started decreasing as the week went on. And now day seven. Day seven, you're, you're going to march around it seven times. You're going to be quiet. And then the trumpet's going to blow. And when the trumpet blows, you're going to shout. And that's what happened. And the walls came tumbling down. They crashed in. God did something. Let me ask you, do you have a BHAG in your life? A dream that is so big for it to be accomplished, it would only have to be done by God? I have a couple. My dream is to be able to to build furniture and give it away to needy families. To be able to put together things that people need. Maybe they lost everything in a fire. Maybe they're people that are just, just don't have the money to buy what they need. And so I, over the years, I've been collecting tools to be able to do that. Over the years, I've been saving money, and when I can and when I get something that I don't need, I'll turn around and sell it and take that money and buy something else. There's one more tool that I want to buy. It's called a CNC machine. It's one that you can do intricate designs with on wood. I'm really looking forward to owning that, but the problem of it is that I felt guilty. Because at the same time, we're trying to figure out how to get Judy off this air tank. How do we get that off of her, out of her life? Find one of those portable ones, but she couldn't use the portable ones because she couldn't breathe deep enough. And the air, the lights would come on and the thing would shut down, and so that's why she has this canister. Whoa, I'm getting some feedback here, guys. Um, and, and, and it was just a struggle for me. I want this machine, but at the same time, Judy... Am I selfish? Let's not go there. But, but anyway, God, what are you, you going to do? I, you know, I, I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. I want this to be able to do this with it. And, and God, you've given me this dream of what I want to do, you know, and all of a sudden. So a little over a week ago, Judy goes to the doctor. Doctor comes out. And because of prayers of people in this congregation, the doctor goes, wow. 
she doesn't need the air tank anymore. Now, she still has to use the thing at night, which makes a lot of noise, but hopefully she'll get off that too. So now I can buy the machine as soon as I umpire enough ball games to make the money to be able to pay for it. But that's part of my dream. The second dream was, you remember that pair of pants that I held up here? I'm still dreaming I'm going to get in those. <laughs> I'm the big, <laughs> and that's the rag. <laughs> we as a church have a BHAG. Just about a year ago, our leaders came to us and said, God is leading us to buy a piece of property, to buy land to build a church. We voted yes. We bought a piece of land. Big, hairy, awesome goal. I mean, you look at the size of our congregation. How are we going to achieve everything that we need to be able to put a building on that property? How are we going to be able to achieve to be able to do what we need to do in order to be able to, to fulfill the dream, the vision of this church? That's a God thing. That's a big God who can do that. I have a big God, do you? That God will supply our needs if the leader said, I, we believe that God is directing us to do this, we need to do it. The body said, yes, we need to do it. But we look at how small we are and we wonder, man, how are we going to accomplish? So we establish the next five. And, and during this five, you know, we get this big donation here, this big donation here, and a lot of little donations in between, and we're moving along to fulfilling this dream and seeing how it's going to work and how God is going to fulfill that in our body. I don't know about you, but four times this past year, I've driven past the property and stopped, and then please, I'm not trying to elevate myself or anything here. But I've walked the property and prayed, God, what do you have in store for us here? What do you see us doing here? What size footprint do you want us to have here? That's a BHAG. Dreaming something bigger than we could possibly dream and watching God fulfill it because we believe He's directed us to do it. Because what seems insurmountable to us is possible with Him. What a great victory it was for God to bring those walls down and, and Israel to go up into the city and take the city. God showed them what He was willing to do. He kept the promise of being with them. But there are times when victories are short-lived. And that brings me to my second point. Hope is crushed by fear and discouragement. The story of Ahai, we know it. 
Those of us who have been believers for a long time, we know the story well. The leaders come up to Joshua and say, Joshua, we got this small little city over here by the name of Ai. Not a big thing. We can go take it. He says, take 3,000 men. Go take the city. They go to take the city and they get routed. 36 Israelites are killed. And this is how Joshua responded in chapter 7. He says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell onto the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord. Until the evening, he and the elders of Israel And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. With that you would be content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel is turned their backs before their enemies for the Canaanites and all its inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? He was devastated. He was just totally beside himself. God, you promised. You said we were going to take this land. You promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. You promised that you would be with us wherever we go. But God told Joshua to get up for Israel's sin. Because back in chapter 6, God put down some parameters on what Israel can do and what they couldn't do. And In verses 18 through 19, he says, But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, least when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and be trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. course through the issue Joshua finds out about Achan Achan didn't obey the word and it's amazing how one person can disrupt the whole congregation Matthew 18 tells us that if we are offended we're to go talk to the person. When I was planning a church in Illinois, I received three unsigned letters. One from the community, two from people in the church. People do not realize sometimes how destructive that is. You're trying to do something good. You're trying to do something right. And somebody doesn't have the audacity to apply Scripture and come and talk to you face to face because the Scripture tells us that we are to talk one to another. If somebody, if you're offended, go talk to them and then 
possibly you can reach a compromise or possibly you can come to a conclusion. And what does that do? It elevates the fellowship, the bond between the two of you. Unsigned letters, they just don't do it. The seriousness of failing to obey God's word. Achan was found out through a series of, of tests. Drawing straws from, from congregation to the tribe, to the specific family, all the way down to the individual. And God wanted to communicate the seriousness of the sin. And so Achan and his whole family were put to death. You see, those three letters that I received, it resulted in, you know, I, it was a small church to begin with, but we ended up losing three families, all because of one person. It's disheartening, it's destructive, and no good can come of it. And so all we can do is pray. All we can do is ask for God to forgive us, to deal with the issue. And in chapter 8, after the Achan was dealt with and the sin was taken from the, from the nation, God tells Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. And they did. They routed Ai. And after it was over, after the battle was ended, all of Israel gathered together to recommit to the covenant, to renew themselves to what had to be done. They built an altar. They made sacrifices and offerings. And they read from the word, the complete law. They read it all. From cover to cover. Parchment to parchment. Remember what it said in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, had commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make yourself your way prosperous and you shall have success. That's how important the word was. That's why he said be very courageous. Because you will take that word and you will walk into an area of unknown. You will take that and be able to present it and you don't know what's out there, but yet you will be able to stand there and be able to, to, to use that word and stand on that promise. In the New Testament, we find passages like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Matthew 4, 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Romans 15, 4, for whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. It takes courage to live the Word of God day by day. Hope Hope can be elevated as God given, God's given goals are achieved. Hope can be deflated when we fail to follow the instructions. And lastly, I want, to, want you to see that hope is a lifelong endeavor. Remember Courageous? The action of an individual who is fearlessly willing to venture into the unknown territory once his mind is made up. That definition personified Caleb. It, it was him to a T. He was one of the original spies. He was one of the seven that went out and only he and Joseph came, or Joshua came back and said, hey, this is a good land. We can take it because God has said we can take it. But because five others said, whoa, there's some big cities over there and there's some big tall people over there. And scriptures tell us that the hearts melted, the people's hearts melted at the negative description of the land. Forty years old. <laughs> For all accounts, he never lost that promise, never lost sight of that promise. And we, and we think about it, here he's 40 years old, he's been in, and God says, well, no, no, you're going to go wander in the wilderness for another 40 years. wonder what it was like for Caleb and and Joshua, that for those 40 years. Sitting around a campfire and looking out towards the west, saying we could be there right now. If only these people, we could be there. Or maybe he took a different perspective and said, we're going to be there one day. Because God said we were going to be. A different in perspective. We're going to be there. We're going to be on that property over there one day. We're going to achieve that goal. I'm going to build furniture one day because I believe in achieving that goal. We come to chapter 13 because the 40 years had come to an end of the wilderness and for five years they've been cleaning the land of the people that God said they were to get rid of. In chapter 13, we're told that the Lord spoke to Joshua, telling him he was old and advanced in years. So Joshua begins to the task of dividing the land among the tribes. Caleb comes to Joshua, and he says, hey, you remember? 
Remember when we went in the land and we came back and we told Moses what we saw? We told Moses that we could take that land? Remember that? Listen to what Caleb said. He said, And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. Got to love this guy. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as, is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country. I want the plains. I want the hill country. Why? Give me the hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. And it may be the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Caleb had hope and the promise. Whether I see it or not, that's not the point. We're going to do it. Because God said we were going to do it. Caleb's faith never waned. He never lost sight of the promise of occupying the land. He didn't doubt the Lord would fulfill his promise. He took the Lord at his word. He made up his mind and he's willing to go into the unknown to defeat the enemy and claim the land that was promised. Hope. Faith directed to the future with the belief it will be fulfilled. It values the anticipation of God's promises because faith rests in God's veracity to make good on his word. Faith and hope, they go together. Faith in God's promises and hope in God's promises lead us to be able to accomplish what he is asking us to do. So what's your dream? What BHAG has God given you? What are you hoping God will do with your life? Are you willing to follow the word of God to achieve your goal in order to avoid having your hope deflated by someone who does, does not understand? Are you willing to make up your mind and walk into the unknown by faith in hopes of fulfilling what God has given you and believe he will accomplish it? Do you want more from our big God? As the worship team comes up, I want to recommend a book to you. It's called The Dream Giver by Bruce Wilkerson. Little book. 
but an awesome book. It's a book that tells the story of someone who has a dream and what he has to do to move through it, to accomplish it. I recommend it to you because if you have a big dream and you're wondering on how to be able to reach it, this book will be, give you a lot of little insight. But as we wind up today, do you have a dream? Do you have something bigger than yourself that you want God to accomplish in you? That's where our faith and hope comes in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories that come from the book of Joshua that were recorded that show us that faith and hope go hand in hand. And God, I just pray for us as a congregation that we will be able to achieve what you've called us to do as you directed us to do. And we trust you will accomplish. So we thank you. We thank you so much for all that you've done and that all you're going to do because you are a big God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.